curiouser and curiouser. Alice in Wonderland. This week, we are talking again about the Girardi bankruptcy cases, but as it relates to Erica Girardi and the fact that both bankruptcy trustees just really seem to want to sue her ass. So we're going to jump into what that looks like and how one legal commentator is now ending up involved in this suit. Hint, it's not me. <laughs> um, and I don't want it to be me because that is not that is not what I do anymore. And I am very glad for it. I get to be here with y'all commenting on the things and commentary is my happy place. Before we even get into it, I want to thank you all for the amazing reviews on the Emily Show podcast. It has been growing in the news commentary category, and it's been growing in the entertainment news category. I moved it over. I was like, we're not really businessy anymore. It's time to move categories. It feels good. I feel refreshed. Hopefully the podcast sounds refreshed. (laughs) I should have done it in season uh, three when we released the new intro, but you know, that would have required way more planning. So just wanted to share a few of the really kind reviews we've been getting on the podcast. You're always welcome to review it in Apple Podcasts. It helps people discover it just the same as when you leave your amazing messages and conversations on the YouTube channel. The first one comes from Sydney Squidney via Apple Podcast in the US saying, amazing makes everything interesting. Thank you so much. I try to make even weird legal shit. Interesting. It is definitely my goal. The next one says concise legal breakdown. Well, I try. (laughs) The podcast is definitely more concise than the YouTube channel. It goes on to say, Emily is smart, funny, and well-informed. When someone is passionate about subjects, it really makes for an entertaining narrative. Awesome would recommend to anyone with a brain. Well, Freebird 2002, that is a fantastic review. I appreciate it. The law nerds are definitely a brainy and curious bunch, and I think that's why we all get along so well. And with that, let's just get into it. We have legal shit to talk about. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. All right, I know we said we were getting right into it, but two things. Two quick things. First, if you aren't a member of the text crew from your cell phone, if you are in North America, just go to textemily.com and you can stay in the loop with when new episodes come out or when episodes don't come out, when I'm going live, if I've had to move a live stream, things like that. Second, this episode is coming out on my hubby's birthday. And um, I still maintain that he doesn't listen to the podcast, but I'm going to give him a birthday shout out anyway, because this crazy whirlwind adventure of podcast and YouTube and being a content creator and commentator wouldn't have happened without his support. In fact, let's be perfectly honest, law school wouldn't have happened without his support uh, because he was one of the biggest cheerleaders of me going to law school along with my parents. So 
thank you. Thank you. Thank you, B. I love you. It has been a lot of birthdays. We've spent a lot of birthdays together. We actually met uh, at the end of April in what 1998 and were floored to find out that we both had birthdays in the same week. So our birthdays are just a day apart. And um, so it's fun. It's fun. I'm very excited. Happy birthday, my husband, for however many birthdays it's been. (laughs) that we've celebrated together since 1998. <laughs> it's a lot of birthdays. It's a lot of birthdays. Uh, and then finally, as you are listening to this episode, you might want to go check in on the social medias or the YouTubes because I think by the time this airs, the YouTube channel will be at 100,000 subscribers, which means I will be dyeing my hair purple and doing some celebrations around the channel and on social media to celebrate and commemorate getting from really 5,000 subscribers to 100,000 subscribers in six months. It's been an incredible journey out of being, you know, more uh, active in practicing law into full-time content creation and legal commentary. It really has been a blessing and is my happy place. So thank you. If you are listening to this, you are part of this Law Nerd community, and I appreciate you so much because I really do feel that the law nerd community and just this commentary and understanding facts and and valuing that facts and feelings are separate, but feelings can inform how we move through the world. But we facts are facts and and we have to evaluate those too. And wanting to have those conversations and have sometimes hard conversations, it's been just such a blessing. And I see our community as really elevating the way conversations happen with compassion and respect for those who may see things differently from us, but also bringing facts and being able to say, well, these are the facts. And if you don't think these are the facts, why not? And show me and why and how and learning and growing together. And it's just, it's just an incredible pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about Real Housewife Erica, Jane, I know it's her stage name, but that's how we know her. Erica Jane, Erica Girardi, Erica Chahoy, whatever. I can't even say Chahoy because it sounds like Chip Chahoy to me, and I just can't. It's like, Ahoy! I cannot. So for me, it's either Erica Girardi or Erica Jane. Who knows what her name will be after she's finally divorced. But if you're not following along with this saga, there's a playlist on the YouTube, and there's lots and lots of episodes on the podcast. I mean, not lots and lots. There's there's a handful. Just put in Girardi, you'll find it. And in sum, what's going on is Tom Girardi, LA lawyer, uh, plaintiff's lawyer, lots of huge settlements, is it, it has unraveled like this house of cards has completely come apart, uh, where his law firm, it seemed, was treating client funds almost in like a Ponzi scheme type of way where they were paying old debts with money coming in from new settlements. And who knows where the money has gone? We're trying to follow the money here. Everybody talking about this case is trying to figure out where that money has gone because where it's supposed to go is to the clients and it's not gone there. There have been multiple lawsuits that have settled and this all resolved in a bankruptcy being forced Tom Girardi has not shown up or participated in this bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy trustees are trying to pull everything together themselves. That means they are hiring lawyers to go run down assets and litigate 
underneath the umbrella of bankruptcy. We talked about this as it relates to the bankruptcy of the Boy Scouts of America as well, that once you're in the bankruptcy court, all the cases, everything that's going on either gets stayed if it's tangential or it comes into the bankruptcy court. And a stay is just a legal, like, stop, hammer time. Anyway, it's a stop. It stops the proceedings from happening. But then it brings them into the bankruptcy court and you can have trials within the bankruptcy court and things like that. You can litigate within that proceeding. So I've said since the beginning, first of all, when all these cases started coming to light, I'm like, oh, this is headed for bankruptcy right quick. It sure did. And then as we were seeing the allegations in the Edelson PC case, that's the case regarding the Lion Air crash that's in Illinois with a judge who's like, I am not playing. Where's the money? Why the money? That was the first judge to freeze the assets. That's the judge that's like the U.S. attorneys need to get involved. Like this feels like there's crimes here. Like I don't like any of this. That was the first judge that was really putting his foot down with all of this and and just not playing anymore. And it that case going down kind of broke, I think, broke this all open into the news cycle. And then Erica filing for divorce. Edelson PC saying, well, we think this divorce is to hide assets. We don't loves it. They said that in a complaint. Those are allegations. So all of that kind of started to spiral. I'm like, this is headed for bankruptcy real quick. There's a lot of outstanding lawsuits. And then once we got into bankruptcy, based on Edelson PC's statement that they thought Erica Jane or her company, EJ Creative, had been loaned a sum of up to $20 million by the Girardi-Keys firm. And we haven't seen confirmation or documentation with regard to that loan other than it being alleged in that lawsuit. But I said, if there is suspicion of that, if there's evidence of that, they are going to end up suing her company in this bankruptcy court because the bankruptcy court can go claw back money that has gone out of the law firm. Remember, there are two bankruptcies here, one with regard to Girardi Case, the law firm, and one with regard to Tom Girardi, the individual, two separate estates. So if the law firm was loaning money and has these outstanding loans, the bankruptcy trustee can go knock doors and be like, um, we lent you money. You're going to need to go ahead and pay that back now. Okay, thanks. We need it back. And if the bankruptcy trustee cannot just get that money back or call a loan, they are going to need to hire counsel to do it. That is the same thing that's going on in the personal bankruptcy. And we talked about that where the bankruptcy trustee was asking for the court's permission to hire counsel to go and track down the assets and determine the assets of Erica Jane as it relates to the personal bankruptcy. In the personal bankruptcy, that's going to be things like community property. What's community property? What's not community property? Has it been turned back into the estate because the estate will be liquidated? Everything will be sold similar to when it goes through a probate after somebody passes. And her community assets, any community property, any things that were purchased with community funds should be liquidated unless they are exempt back into the bankruptcy. So that money goes to the lien holders. And in this case, it's a lot of clients of Tom Girardi, including the Rui Gomez family, who has an $11 million lien on all personal assets of Tom Girardi. It will go back to them and it should go back to them. So they are trying to track it down because Erica Girardi's like, no, what's in the house? There's nothing else. Like there's what, what community, what community property? I don't know what you're talking about. And there's no indication of community property, uh, in the divorce filings either. We looked at those and in the divorce filings, it 
said uh, to be determined, like TBD. <laughs> I think part of that is like, we're not doing the work for you. You're going to have to come and find, you're going to have to find these assets. We're going to find you. So in the personal bankruptcy, the trustee is seeking to appoint the Axe Law Firm. The Axe Law Firm is also involved with the business bankruptcy. The business trustee has lit- is litigating against them. The trustee for the law firm or the business trustee is, uh, I believe they are also a debtor in that case. So there is stuff going on with regard to the other bankruptcy with Axe, but in the personal, they are hiring this firm to track down Erica's community property and sue her to bring those things back so that those can go into the um into the bankruptcy and you know at the end of the day these this law firm would get 35ish percent of what they recover plus their costs of recovering it so it's not as if they're working for free not that I'm saying that they should it's just the councils will also be enriched by that. So they will be compensated. I I misspoke. They will be compensated with regard to acts. Let me just pull, let me pull this up for the, uh, those playing along on YouTube. If you are listening and you want to see the documents, you can come over to YouTube and, and take a look. The video is titled the same thing. The podcast is titled, you can come see it. The compensation that acts will be employed as special counsel 33 and a third of gross recovery prior to commencing litigation. That means if they get assets back without having to sue, they get 33 and a third. 40% of gross recovery after the complaint is filed. 45% of gross recovery if the matter is tried or if settlement occurs within 60 days of trial. If there's ultimately no recovery, the estate will have no liability. So it's a contingency basis. If nothing's recovered, then they eat their own costs, essentially. So that is what their uh, basis is. No compensation will be paid except upon application and approval by the court. So again, this all has to go through the bankruptcy court and the bankruptcy court has to approve and appoint these attorneys. Well, they are not the only law firm seeking to be appointed here by the bankruptcy trustee. With regards to the girardi Keese law firm business bankruptcy, the bankruptcy trustee is seeking to appoint Ronald Richards and Associates, a law firm or legal commentator. His website doesn't indicate who the associates are or if there's any associates with his firm, but that is the name of the firm. Uh, he has been commenting on this case since the end of November on the Twitters, on various podcasts, some YouTube channels. I haven't seen him on video. It seems that he normally appears by by um, like call-in or by voice audio audio only, and um, is kind of known around the the Bravo community and what have you for covering this case and really going in on Erica Girardi and his feelings with regard to uh, her postings on social media, that her postings are tone deaf, which, you know, no disagreement there, and has kind of gone a gone a little bit in on that, though, did say in one interview that going after this kind of stuff was fun for him. And he really did enjoy going after a attorneys that did this kind of stuff and those associated with them. So it's 
interesting to me that we now are at like commentator who may now benefit um, to the tune of a contingency agreement by being part of this case. So we're going to break that down. I know, I know, I, I've seen the comments on Twitter. A lot of people have asked how he was involved in this case. And uh, for a, quite a long while, he had said, look, I'm just commenting on it. I like uh, going through this stuff. I like breaking this open. And this case for any lawyer is really, truly a fascinating case. It is the the unwinding of a very prestigious law firm with lots of awards and and lots of renown uh and it has all come crashing down in a disastrous fashion so i i am not surprised by that but it's quite a lot of time and energy it made more sense to me when we saw in the personal bankruptcy that ron richards is representing some of the debtors in that case it's like this makes sense cuz you're going to be on these court calls anyway. You're going to be appearing in these hearings anyway. So why not share that information on Twitter, share that information with with people who are interested in it? But now it seems that there is a much deeper connection because he will be representing individuals with regard to the personal bankruptcy side of it who are creditors, and he will potentially be special litigation counsel to track down Erica Jane's assets that may or may not have been lent to her by the law firm. What's interesting is that he did mention on Twitter that he had not found any information regarding this $20 million loan, and maybe that has changed, leading him to believe, um, and the bankruptcy trustee to believe that there is uh, grounds here to find money that has been lent to Erica Jane or her company. So let's talk about what this notice of Chapter 7 trustees application to employ the law offices of Ronald Richards and Associates, APC, as special litigation counsel. Please take notice the trustee is retaining Richards as her special litigation counsel to assist with the investigation and undertake such proceedings and or actions as may be appropriate in connection with investigating and recovering a state property and filing such proceedings and or actions as are appropriate in connection with transfers to Erica Girardi, a.k.a. Erica Jane. Please take further notice that the trustee proposes to retain Richards on a contingency basis with the amount of compensation to be as follows, 35% of net recovery prior to commencement of litigation, which is actually higher than Axe is getting on the other side. They're only getting 33 and a, and a third. So, so there's that. 40% after the complaint is filed through 60 days prior to jury or bench trial, 45% thereafter. Because again, these can go to trial to seek this down. Net recovery means the amount remaining after the total amount received, whether by settlement, arbitration, award, or court judgment, has been reduced by the sum of all costs as defined in the engagement agreement. Richards shall also be entitled to reimbursement of its out-of-pocket costs incurred, uh, during the course of the instant engagement as approved by the court, which means the court will have to go over any costs associated with this. So any investigation done into this prior to this appointment will likely not be approved by the court to be lumped into this. It would be from appointment forward. And the bankruptcy trustee may see that as a benefit since it's been indicated on Twitter and in interviews that there has been investigation done by Richards uh, looking into where assets are, what's going on in this case, and Erica's part of it for sure. 
Please take further note than other than the contingency fee and cost to be paid to Richards as set forth herein and in the engagement agreement, Richards shall have no other claims against the estate. Further take notice, any party wishing to obtain a copy of the application may do so. And then it goes into the formal notice provision from the bankruptcy trustee and all of the notice. There's also um, Ronald Richards' application because he has to make a statement of disinterested party, meaning that he is not <laughs> disinterested sounds weird when somebody has been covering it so closely, um, you know, live tweeting hearings and and really digging into this case. So disinterested does not mean uninterested. Disinterested is a legal description indicating that he doesn't have a vested interest in this case prior to becoming a counsel, and he has to um, disclose any interest he would have in this case. So let's pull up his statement. And what I'm looking at is the Chapter 7 trustees application to employ the law offices of Ronald Richards, Ronald Richards, declarations of him, and statement of disinterestedness of Richards. The beginning of this really breaks down how this case came about, stating that pre-petition, the debtor was a plaintiff's law firm based in Los Angeles, California. On December 18th, petitioning creditors Jill O'Callaghan as successor in interest to James O'Callaghan, Robert M. Keese, John Abazian, Erica Saldana, Virginia Antonio, and Kim Archie filed an involuntary Chapter 7 bankruptcy petition against debtor again, this being the law firm. And then it goes through all of the things that have happened to get us really where we are today with the trustees seeking to employ Richards as the special litigation counsel. The bankruptcy trustee states that continuing investigation may reveal that assets of the debtor, in this case, the law firm Girardi Keys, were transferred to Erica Jane, Tom Girardi's spouse, either directly or to one or more people or entities on her behalf, or to other transferees of assets from Erica Girardi or her related entities, now being called the Erica transfers. It's like the Erica files, <laughs> the Erica Jane files, the Erica transfers. The trustee believes that the Erica transfers will be recoverable under applicable statute and federal law. Therefore, it's necessary for the trustee to employ counsel to assist with the investigation and undertake such proceedings and or actions as may be appropriate in connection with investigating and recovering estate property and filing such proceedings and or actions as are appropriate in connection with the Erica transfers. The trustee seeks to employ Richards as her special litigation counsel for the limited and special purpose of representing the trustee in connection with investigating and recovering the Erica transfers. That means that Richards will be hired on behalf of the estate of Girardi Keese, the law firm, to go after Erica and her assets. In this regard, Richard will handle all matters relating to the Erica transfers, including but not limited to investigation, written discovery, depositions, court appearances, preparation of pleadings and other filings, trial and overall prosecution of any appropriate actions on behalf of trustee, a true and correct copy um, are attached as exhibit one. Now, this means that Ron Richards, who has been going kind of in on Erica Jane in Twitter, could actually be sitting across from her in a deposition asking about where shit has gone 
what money had been transferred to her and trying to sue her or actually suing her to get it back, which is just a strange turn of events for me, um, just because of how much coverage there has been of it. And we will talk about that in a few minutes after I get through these applications. But it's just, an it's again, it's an interesting and curious turn of events for me. This goes on to say that the trustee proposes to employ Richards effective as of the date of the order, that the trustee proposes to retain him on a contingency basis. We already talked about the amounts in the previous application that he is entitled to out-of-pocket costs incurred during the course of the engagement as approved by the court, that Richard has not been paid a retainer, that Richards will have no claims against the estate at the end of this representation, that Richards understands that all fees and expenses sought or requested by or to be paid are subject to the court's approval, meaning you can ask for it, but you might not get it. And we're seeing that being litigated in the Britney Spears conservatorship, where we're seeing a lot of litigation over fees to a particular law firm that summed upwards of $800,000 in four months. But I will I will put a, a link to the video covering that um, below in the description and show notes. If you haven't seen that, you can go and look. But yes, court's can approve or deny those sorts of things. It's unusual if they're proper costs and expenses that the court would deny them. The trustee believes that Richards is well qualified to serve as the trustee's special litigation counsel and to render services for which the trustee is retaining. Richards specializes in civil and criminal litigation. (laughs) All. (laughs) Specializes in all. No, specializes in litigation. Attorney Richards is admitted to practice before all courts in the state of California and has been licensed for 26 years. They attach a true and correct copy of his resume, which was hilarious to me because it's not a resume per se. It's a printout of his website, but it was, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's not, that's not in the resume format one would expect to see. It's, it's really a printout from your website. Okay, cool, cool. The attorneys at Richards are attorneys at law, duly admitted to practice. And again, I would let you know what attorneys are the associates. They are not listed on the firm's website. Richards has no agreement to share any compensation for services rendered in connection with this case with any other individual or entity, except as among and between shareholders, employees, independent contractors. So, you know, the people that you need to work on the job that you're doing. Then it goes into the statement of disinterestedness. What was interesting to me about this is in the first line, it has, um, of course, the attorney information, but then it's listed as a P.O. box, which is just odd to me because in California, I didn't think you could, as a law firm, list in litigation papers a P.O. box because there's no one there to serve you. And I think that there actually might be I I just don't think you can do that. It was odd to me. But I know Ron Richards has spoken a lot on Twitter about some of the Beverly Hills housewives not being from Beverly Hills. Um, There's quite a lot of affinity there uh, from Beverly Hills. I don't know if he has offices elsewhere, and that's why this P.O. box was put here. But this is what's listed on the website as well. It was just odd to me. I didn't think in court documents that you could list a P.O. box. I thought it had to be a physical address. though. One can always be wrong. It just struck it struck me as odd. I was like, wait a second, you can't you can't list a PO box with the court, but okay. This is the research attorney days coming coming back to me after working working with judges doing all of this type of work, not as the litigant 
but on on behalf of the court. Uh, They put in disclosure of the retainer agreement that the investigation, the investigation of disinterestedness made by the professional prior to submitting this statement consists of the firm is a small firm and Ron Richard reviews all matters wherein the firm is employed or is potentially employed. Richards has determined that the only case. So the the investigation of disinterestedness was asking Richards, do you have any stake in this? Which I'm not saying is improper. It's just funny. It's like, uh, do you have any other parties in this? No. Okay, cool. Richards has determined that the only case in which Richards is involved, which has any connection to the debtor or Thomas Girardi, is that Richards is co-counsel with Spurtus, Lands, and Umhofer in connection with its representation of creditors, the law offices of Philip Sheldon, and the law offices of Robert Finn in connection with their claims for unpaid referral fees by the debtor, which is interesting to me because I know that uh, Richards had tweeted out about the law offices of Finn um, having a lawsuit against Tom Girardi. And I just wonder if representation happened before or after that. But we'll talk about uh, litigation and and publicity of litigation in a minute, because at that point, the litigation in the bankruptcy had already taken place, but he might not have been counsel with regard to that just yet. Item number six is the following is a complete description of all of the professional's connections with the debtor, principles of the debtor, insiders of the debtor's creditors, any other parties or party at interest. And it states that other than as above, which is representing two of the law firm debtors against Tom Girardi personally, the only other connection is that Richards has served as co-counsel with the firm of which the trustee is a member in unrelated cases meaning that the law firm that the trustee is a part of has been co-counsel with Richards on unrelated cases to this. The trustee has no involvement in those cases whatsoever. So stating that they have not uh, worked directly together as co-counsels. It lists the name and address again, that PO box, which was the only thing that really struck me as odd with that. And then it says, after conducting and supervising the investigation described above, I declare under penalty of perjury under the laws of the United States that the foregoing is true and correct, except that I declare that paragraph six through nines are stated on information and belief signed by Ron Richards on April 23rd. What's interesting to me in this is that he has been silent on Twitter um, since like April 15th. And I wonder if that was in anticipation of signing this agreement or just been busy. Either is possible. It's just, again, curiouser. The contingency fee agreement is attached and laid out with regard to the fees and the costs and the actions by the attorneys. Just a fairly standard contingency fee agreement, how that will work, what will happen, that will be um, dealt with by the court. And then, of course, exhibit two is the the um, resume, which is I mean, all the information that you would see on a website and is on his website talking about the work uh, that he has done, the cases that he has tried and what have you. So that is the entirety of these filings by the court. We will see if Erica Jane's attorneys object to this. They may, they may not. They have uh, 15 days to object. If they object, we will talk about it. The thing I got tagged on social media about a lot of people were like, how, how is this possible that an attorney that was 
acting in the kind of role of a commentator is now going to potentially be involved in this case. And the thing that really came up to me was, are they asking about trial publicity? This thought that um, there are rules and there are actually rules of professional conduct with regard to pre-trial publicity. And there's a balance here with pre-trial publicity with regards to people's First Amendment right to speak versus the bounds of your duties and ethics as a professional who's engaged in a case. The thing is, he's not yet engaged in this case and has not been appointed, which means everything up to this point is just commentary, but anything going forward could come into consideration. And if he becomes part of this, then do any of the back statements become problematic as pretrial publicity? Would there have to be a statement? Would things have to be taken down? I don't know. That's going to be up for Erica's attorneys to fight over saying, hey, we think some of these could be prejudicial pretrial publicity. Now, as I talk about that, let's just talk real quick. I'm going to tell you what the rule is and we'll we'll walk through it. So in California, trial publicity, the general rule of professional conduct says that a member who is participating or has participated in the investigation or litigation of a matter shall not make an extrajudicial, extrajudicial, (laughs) it's the hardest word, extrajudicial statement, out of court statement that a reasonable person would expect to be disseminated by means of public communication if the member knows or reasonably should have known that it will have a substantial likelihood of materially prejudicing an adjudicative proceeding in the matter. So could a statement prejudice the matter? And I think, uh, and I quickly cruised back through statements made on Twitter. And when I said that he's gone in on Erica, what I mean by that is it's clear that he thinks that her behavior is absolutely the worst, that her posting on social media is uh, somewhat gross and and out of touch and cold-hearted. I can absolutely understand that. There are definitely things posted on social by Erica that are like, really? You know that there's a lot going on here, right? Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Tweets like from February 2nd, while victims, I'm quoting, while victims are starving, tone deaf at Erica Jane is lunching on the beach. Hashtag Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or R-H-O-B-H. Hashtag Girardi fraud. Hashtag ignoring it won't make it go away. And then links to an Instagram video of what seems like filming a lunch of all of the ladies from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And that's during that time period when they were filming. Uh, There was another one from December 14th that said, Dear Miss Jane at Erica Jane, are you aware that a federal judge has put an asset freeze on all your community property today? Hashtag R-H-O-B-H. Hopefully someone will let her know so she doesn't violate the order. She was not represented in the hearing. There are others and lots of others questioning her behavior on social media, saying things like, quote from January 18th, quote, it's hard to understand that in the middle of one of the largest frauds perpetrated on clients in U.S. legal history, at Erica Jane is posting tone-deaf photos to her Instagram account, um, and then in paren saying, I don't have one, so any photos are appreciated, displaying expensive clothes and self-aggrandizing photos, 
it is business as usual. This will not sit right when this morphs into a criminal investigation or pleas by her that she needs money to live on. It will never happen that she will get to keep any money transferred to her within the last year. Bad strategy to flaunt and avoid. Hashtag Girardi fraud, hashtag R-H-O-B-H at Real Tom Girardi is equally appalling, claiming he is mindless, yet no public petition has surfaced to put him in a conservatorship. This was again in January 18th before the conservatorship happened. Uh, There was another one from January 22nd saying the most tone death hashtag R-H-O-B-H cast member is at Erica Jane. These Instagram photos sent to us are hard to believe. If her husband was really suffering from a mental defect, she would be more compassionate. It seems she is motivated by Benjamin Franklin's alternative universe. Exclamation point. Uh, And those are her like Fenty photos. She look, her posting on Instagram has been absolutely tone deaf. It's absolutely a whole, whole situation. The thing that will come up is whether her attorneys will believe that if he is going after her assets, he has not in somehow or in some way with those postings potentially prejudice the proceedings if this goes to a trial. Now, the bankruptcy trustee, I imagine, doesn't give any shits because they're like, no, go in, like, go off, go off, home slice, like, you go. We want you to go after her and bring us back the money. Thank you. And I think most are going to be on that side of no, if money was transferred from the law firm that should be going to the clients and went to Erica Jane, go get the money and bring it back. The thing is, Erica still has a right to not have the proceedings prejudiced, but there's an argument that her own behavior is what's being called out. And this isn't really getting into the things that are defined under the rules of professional conduct. So the rules of professional conduct talk about what a member may do. And they may talk about the claim, the offense or defense involved. So saying, yes, we have filed litigation. Like these are your standard lawyer press conferences. Talk about information contained in a public record, which most of what Richards talks about on Twitter are things contained in public record. The scheduling or result of any step in litigation. Also, a lot of his coverage does say there was this hearing. This thing happened after the hearing a request for assistance in obtaining evidence and information necessary. Now that has come up a lot in other cases I cover. Toddy Westbrook. (laughs) There was a lot that went on early on on Twitter between the lead counsel in the Toddy Westbrook case for Toddy, Michael Saltz, who on YouTube and here on the podcast we refer to as Saltzy. But there was a lot of kicking up from the defendant saying, you can't talk about this. You can't do this. You're not allowed to behave this way on Twitter. And there were people on Twitter saying the same things to Salty that they're saying to Ron Richards. It's like, you're an attorney. Why are you posting this? Attorneys are allowed to have speech, y'all. You're an attorney. Why are you posting this? And Salty was like, I'm asking for information. This whole case went down on social media. A lot of the statements that they were alleging Um, were made on or given context by things that went down on Twitter. So that became quite a substantial part of it is, hey, um, we're asking for assistance to obtain evidence. And Richards has done that too on Twitter saying, if you have additional photos, if you have additional information, please go ahead and send it to us. 
a warning of danger concerning the behavior of a person involved when there is reason to believe that there exists a likelihood of substantial harm to an individual or the public interest. You would see that mostly in criminal cases, warnings being given like this person is uh, being investigated, armed, dangerous, those sorts of things. I can't off the top of my mind think of when else that would come up outside of a criminal context. In a criminal case, in addition, you can there's additional information that can be released to the public. So again, the heart of this rule is one, somebody who's participating or has participated. So it's not going to be the things going forward. It's going to be an argument of were the things that were said or that were said in interviews before uh, Richards comes into this case, if the court appoints him, could those things be extrajudicial statements that um, could be materially prejudicial. And that's going to be the thing because the statements are clear that he does not approve of what Erica's up to. The only thing that could be materially problematic is referring to her as a fraud. However, there's going to be an argument from him saying, yeah, but that's what's happening here. And if it went to trial, that's what we'd be trying to prove. Well, probably probably fraud, like that it was that monies were taken out of the law firm and given to her um, and need to be given back into the estate. So I think that is where the question came up because there has been so much talk about this case of, can you do that or can you not do it? I understand why it raises eyebrows. It's like, this has been very, um, very detailed coverage of this case. So it feels weird that that then morphs into somebody now working essentially for the bankruptcy trustee to go after Erica Jane, who he's been going after on Twitter anyway. But again, from the bankruptcy trustee, it's going to be like, I mean, he already knows what's going on. (laughs) He's not going to need to get up to speed and he's already, he's already on the hunt. So we might as well just, just let it happen. So I will be very interested to see if Erica's attorneys, A, are aware of Twitter at all. I mean, he's added her quite a bit, so potentially. And if they care, if they bring it up to the court, if it bothers them in any way, or if they use it to their advantage. I'm most interested in the possibility that somebody who has been kind of going after Erica on Twitter could then be sitting across from her in deposition um, asking about these uh, these Instagram posts that he took umbrage with. Well, I don't think he was alone because they a lot of them are very tone deaf. Though there are quite a lot of fans who are like, "Yes, Queen, go off." And it's like, um, no. There's a lot of victims out there, and I think at the end of the day, all of us want to see the clients get their money back primarily. So though I have maintained that I still don't know what Erica knows, I have not seen evidence of what Erica knew when, I reserve the right to change my mind on that with new evidence. Nothing I have seen so far goes, yes, she knew the whole scope that that clients weren't getting paid and this thing was a whole disaster. I'm not there yet on what I've seen, but I'm absolutely there with the posting on social media being just appallingly tone deaf. And um, it's got to just piss off the victims who are watching this play out. All of those clients who are still having to fight over their money that should have been theirs in the first place, watching her post, you know, Fenty ads as if nothing has ever happened. So 
I understand it. I understand also why when this information started to bubble up that it raised some eyebrows of like, oh, really? That's what's happening? But when you go through the you know trial publicity, does it really fit? Um, are there statements that could fit? Could that be cured? They didn't happen while, while he was an attorney participating in these proceedings. So we will see if there's an objection and what the court does. I'm curious to see, but I think at the end of the day, we all want to see um, see the clients get their money. And if this is a way to do it, I'm sure going to be curious about it. I'm sure that the Twitter followers who have been following this will be like, oh, man, <laughs> do, we, do we get less coverage now? Po- possibly, possibly. But I'm not looking to be employed by anyone because I'm employed by myself. So I'll still be here giving you all of the coverage on all of the social medias with regard to this case particularly though on this podcast and on YouTube. Thank you so much for hanging with me for another episode of The Emily Show as we continue to dive in to the Girardi case. This one's not going anywhere anytime soon. Next steps in this case, I think we're going to see the house sell, Tom Girardi have to move out of the house, and potentially litigation being initiated against Erica Girardi. And those are the aspects of this I'm most interested in. What's also going on in those cases now is that other attorneys are being assigned to handle some of the bigger litigations and those agreements are being made. I'm also going to be tracking what the court does with regard to Erica objecting to some of the settlements that have been proposed. So there's a lot going on. And I have said, we're still in a pandemic until I go to a Dave Matthews show, but Dave is actually going to be touring in the fall. So that might be sooner than I thought. I was surprised. The fact that there's still like a pared down summer tour happening shocked me. And I'm still have mixed feelings about it, but also it's Dave. So until we get to a Dave show, we're still in a pandemic in my mind, even though mask mandates are lifting all over the country, including where I live. But I kind of like the outro. So raise a glass and say it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well, and may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one, friend. I hope this finds you well, and thank you for being a Law Nerd. Hey there, Law Nerd. Thanks for being with me another week. I know that you love the podcast, but did you know that I have a lot of content over on the YouTube? And when I say a lot, I mean a lot of content, long form content short form content, sometimes even YouTube shorts. Come on over to YouTube and check it out. I live stream with the Law Nerds every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central and Fridays for Friday Night Live at 7 p.m. Central. You can find it down in the show notes or at the Emily D. Baker. Just put it in the search bar of YouTube and it'll pull me right up. Go ahead and hit that subscribe. We're getting very close to purple hair. Can't wait to see you over on the YouTubes and go ahead and leave a comment that you're coming over from the podcast. See you soon.